Welcome to our weekly Catechism class. This lesson is a weekly look at the Heidelberg Catechism to help us to learn Christian doctrine with a warm and a practical application. Every lesson has an accompanying study guide. The web link to find that guide is in the episode notes. Now, let's start the class and learn the lessons. Welcome to our Catechism class. In this podcast, we're going to be looking at Lord's Day 13, question 33. Why is he, Jesus, called God's only begotten Son, since we also are the children of God? The answer we must give is because Christ alone is the eternal, natural Son of God. But we are children of God by adoption, through grace, for his sake. I'm Bob McAvoy, and this is the Semper Reformata podcast. I was having an intergenerational conversation with my granddaughter. She was only seven at the time. And she had just pointed out to me that my Bible, laid open on the desk in the study, was all coloured in. I explained that it was marked to highlight different themes in the text. It was annotated to remind me of things that I'd learned. She listened with great patience. And then she asked the question, Can I colour in some of your Bible? Of course you can, I replied. What verse would you like to colour in? The answer was very swift when it came back. I want to colour in the verse that says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. There's no doubt John 3.16 is probably the best known and best loved of Bible verses. And her mention of it gave me a good opportunity to explain it to her. Who was God's only begotten Son. It was Jesus. Yes. And then came the inevitable question. Granda, what does begotten mean? And so came the challenge. How do you explain the eternal sonship of Christ in a way that a seven-year-old child can understand? Well, actually, the Catechist does a fairly good job of that for us. And he does it by contrasting our sonship We've already seen in our previous classes that God is our Father by contrasting that sonship with the sonship of Christ. And he does it in the context of his lessons on the Apostles' Creed, which says, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord. He asks how we can say that Jesus is God's only begotten Son when we too are the sons of God. And the answer, of course, lies in the meaning of the word begotten. 
Now there are two major doctrines presented to us in this question and answer. And today we're looking at the first of those, the eternal sonship of Christ. We're going to look at the idea of adoption in our next episode. Let's do some church history. This doctrine is so important that it was the subject of one of the most important ecumenical councils in the early church, the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD. It centred around a man called Arius. He was the presbyter the preaching elder at Alexandra, a seaport in Egypt. Arius taught that before Jesus was born at Bethlehem, he had no existence whatsoever. He had a great soundbite, Arius. His soundbite was, there was when he wasn't. Now because of this, he believed and taught that while Jesus was God, he was a lesser part of the Godhead, that he was adopted into the Godhead rather than be there by right. So Jesus, in that case, couldn't really be our saviour. Just a good example for us to follow. Followers of Arius were called Arians. Nowadays, there are still people who hold similar beliefs. They call themselves Unitarians. Needless to say, the rest of the church worldwide were appalled at Arius's teaching, but he had a cunning plan. Arius made up nice, catchy choruses with Arian beliefs, and he taught them to the sailors down at the docks, and they sang them like sea shanties all over the world. Arius's plan worked. Rome was the hub of the empire, all ships docked there, and soon the people of Rome were singing the songs and learning the false doctrines, and Arianism was spreading. The emperor of Rome, a man called Constantine, was not amused. Constantine had a very fragmented empire, and he wanted it united, and he too had a cunning plan. The church stretched right across the empire, And perhaps he, the emperor, could use the church to unite diverse people groups. But this Arius was breaking the church up. Just when he needed it united, something has to be done. So Constantine called all the leaders of the church together at a town called Nicaea, specifically to talk about Arianism. Attendees were 1,800 or so bishops from throughout the empire, including a 1,000 from the west of the empire and around 800 from the east. No representatives, of course, from Britain were there. No one knows exactly how many came, but it is thought that there were more eastern representatives than western ones. Among the prominent attendees were Arius himself, Arius the so-called heresiarch. There was St Athanasius of Alexandria. There was Nicholas of Myra. There was Eusebius of Nicomedia and Eusebius of Caesarea, perhaps the very first church historian. At the conference, the Arians were devious. They continually challenged the meaning of the biblical terms. The orthodox theologians introduced a new term, the Greek word homoousius. It means that Jesus is of the same substance as the Father. The Son is of the same substance as the Father. Everything that God the Father is, so is God the Son. The nearest New Testament Greek word is hypostasis. It means the exact imprint. 
And we find it in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, a very important Christological statement. Importantly, Jesus, because he is of the same substance as us, is our representative on the cross. And because he is of the same substance as the Father, he is sinless and holy, and so is able to satisfy God's wrath and demonstrate his love. Here's what the Nicene Creed says about Jesus. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sitteth on the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the quick and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. The important lines of that section of the Creed are the lines that say, One Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made. Now that's a perfect summary of the person of Christ. His uniqueness, his sonship, his eternal existence it's our refutation of unitarian opinions on the birth of christ and his deity and his godhood So let's go back then to our catechism. Our instructor here makes three important points about the nature of Christ's sonship. He teaches us, first of all, that Jesus is eternally the Son, and then that Jesus is God's natural Son, and thirdly, that no one else but Jesus holds this position as God's only begotten Son. Let's think of those briefly. So Jesus is eternally the Son of God. The Catechist says because Christ alone is the eternal natural Son of God. There was never a time when he wasn't God's Son and there never will be such a time. Theologians speak of him as being eternally begotten of the Father. Micah prophesied the coming of Jesus, saying in Micah 5 and 2, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. In the New Testament, the Jews who were 
constantly following Jesus about the Pharisees were enraged when he made this astonishing claim in John 8 and verse 58. Jesus said to them there, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now they knew for sure when he said that, when he claimed to be around even before the days of Abraham, not only was he taking upon himself the name of God, the word I am, but he was claiming equality with God the Father in every respect. He was claiming to be God. The Jews knew that. You can see this in John 5 and verse 18. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. The Jews knew that only God was eternal, and Jesus was teaching that he himself was eternal, from everlasting to everlasting, just as Micah had prophesied. In his pre-incarnate life, he is the Logos, the second person of the Trinity who is of the same essence as the Father and the Holy Spirit. John 1 and verse 14 says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So not only is Jesus eternally the Son, but he is God's natural Son. Read the Catechism again. Because Christ alone is the eternal, natural Son of God. In our last lesson, we saw that he is called Christ, and that those who follow him are called Christians. And now our instructor teaches us that he is the natural Son of God, and we are the adopted children of God. And that's the difference. There are two types of children those who are born into a family by natural means, and those who are chosen and adopted into that same family. They are just as loved and respected and have all the rights of the natural children. But they were not born into it by natural birth. Romans chapter 8 and verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. So if we are not God's children when we are born, whose children are we? Well, we are the children of Adam, who is our common ancestor, and because Adam sinned, we are by nature children of our father, the devil. Here's what Jesus said to religious Jews in John 8 and verse 44. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. Paul later later starkly stated uh, the eternal consequences of that in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3. We all once were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. In order for us to be brought into God's family, we have to be adopted. One of Ligonier's Table Talk daily readings stated, Even though we are not children of God by nature, We become his sons and daughters when we are united by faith to Christ Jesus. As such, we enjoy the immense privilege of calling God Father and understanding the special providential care that he has for each of us. Knowing that the Father has eternally begotten the Son assures us that we are united to one who is God's Son 
by nature, and thus that it is possible to become God's children in Christ. So Jesus is God's natural son, and we are his adopted children. Let's turn back to the Catechism. It says, because Christ alone is the eternal, natural Son of God. Christ alone. Jesus is unique. He is God's one and only Son. John MacArthur wrote, the Greek word translated only begotten is monogenes. The thrust of its meaning has to do with Christ's utter uniqueness. Literally, it may be rendered one of a kind. And yet it also clearly signifies that he is of the very same essence as the Father. Thus, or this I believe, is the very heart of what is meant by the expression only begotten. So if Jesus is eternal, why is the word begotten included in those Bible verses and in the creeds? Isn't that a wee bit confusing? Wouldn't monogenes be better just translated as one and only son? as in some of the modern versions. Why insert a confusing word like begotten? After all, when we think of the word begotten, we automatically think of a birth. In the Old Testament, Abraham begot Isaac, and so on. Now that's where our mistake would lie. We're thinking of God in human terms. Theologians call this anthropomorphism, making God into our image, thinking that he is like us, that his fatherhood is just like ours. But it's important to remember that God is not like us. He is eternal and we are not. Our fatherhood is a pale and a very broken reflection of the fatherhood of God, whereas God's fatherhood is perfect and is eternal. So there is another and perhaps more significant meaning to the word than merely the human understanding of the procreation of offspring. Look at Genesis chapter 1 with me. Turn to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 11. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, and the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Now move down the chapter. Look at Genesis chapter 1 verse 24. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves, with which the waters abounded according to their kind. And every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Verse 24. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind. Cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth's surface according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Now the important words to underline in those passages are the words bring forth 
according to its kind. God has so designed creation that each creature begets offspring after its kind. In other words, the offspring bears the exact likeness, a perfect representation of its parent. Now Jesus, the Logos, the Son, has the same essence as the Father, as the Nicosian Fathers said, Homo Usius, of the same substance. He is the exact representation of his natural Father God. Let's go again to those pivotal Christological verses at the beginning of Hebrews chapter 1, where it says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the worlds, verse 3, the important verse, who being the brightness of his glory and, and underline this, the express image of his person. Now when we talk about the Lord Jesus Christ as being eternally begotten of the Father, we're not referring to his origin in time like Arius was. We are underscoring the absolute unity, the oneness of substance and essence between Father and Son. John MacArthur again. In other words, such expressions aren't intended to evoke the idea of procreation. They are meant to convey the truth about the essential oneness shared by the members of the Trinity. Let me digress just for a moment or two. Now that we have learned that only begotten Son It doesn't actually mean that Jesus was once created like we are, but that he is of the same essence as the Father eternally. That knowledge may actually challenge us when we come to choose a new Bible. If today you're looking for a brand new Bible and you intend going down to your local Christian bookshop to choose a suitable edition, you will have lots of options to choose from. Let me give you a little bit of simple guidance. Look at John 3.16. If the book that you have in your hand does not say specifically only begotten son in that verse, I would suggest you put it back in the shelf and look for a Bible version that renders that verse as for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So let's sum up. Christ's sonship is totally different from our sonship. He is God's natural son. We are adopted children, adopted into God's family. Jesus is God's only begotten son, eternally begotten of the Father, of the same substance as the Father, co-equal and co-eternal. And our catechist points out that this marks him out as being different from us. He is the eternal, natural Son of God. We, although we are sons, are not natural sons. We are adopted into God's family. And we look at that in our next podcast. <laughs>